So I think I want to start by answering a question that came from a couple of people um, about this arena of the body and the space around the body. And um, just to make it really clear, it doesn't have to be your experience to be able to perceive the space around the body. To orient to the whole body is perfect and enough for insight and realization. Um, so it's not that you're not doing it right or you won't gain any benefit, not at all. Some of us, we're, you know, I mentioned on the first day this spectrum of some of us will be more trained and have it more as our MO, that we feel more the firm, solid, kind of meatier aspect of sensation, the firmness, the solidity, the kind of uh, discrete perceptions of sensation in that way. Others of us will be sensitive more to the kind of energetic sensitivity of a whole field. One is not better than the other. There's a spectrum and all of it's useful and we can develop. If we're someone who tends more to be able to feel the kind of subtle energetic sense, we would do well to really also train in the firm, the meaty, the solid, the firmer dimension. So I hope that's clear, that whole spectrum is something that attention can know. They're all different ways of attending to the body. And within our instruction here of opening the possibility of the whole body and a little bit more room around the body, um, this is a way of attending to, to the body. Um, it has many beneficial possibilities. Um, and if you're someone who's more, oh, I can kind of get my body at times. I don't get this thing about around the body. It's completely fine. Um, just be open to the possibility and the idea that we don't just end with a bit you can see. You know, e everybody probably knows the experience of um, what, what we might call personal space. Or like if somebody comes up really super close to, to you, you feel it before they actually touch your body, right? So it's that, it's that kind of field. It's the, the uh, what on the traditional, uh, we don't have it on those images, but I think you get it in images in lots of cultures of the, of the beings um, with a little bit more around them, like the sort of glow around them or the radiance or the little bit more than the body that's put in the image. So tonight I want to look at the chant that we did this morning. I don't mean literally look at it right now. I will invite us to do it in a moment. But as I speak about it, you don't, I don't want you to um, look at it, you know, like the lecture notes or the bit to, to refer to. We, we will get there and you can look at it in that way. But first, just for some reflections on that. So... Firstly, the invitation again to relate to this chant in whatever way is meaningful for you, right? You're not asked to buy into these as absolute ways of seeing or as absolute truths or as things you now have to religiously do. But we wanted to offer this chant um, that is both refuge, traditional conception of refuge. The refuge is the shelter the place to place our heart in the storm. A refuge gives sanctuary to a flickering heart. A heart that wants to know more, a heart that wants to go deeper, a heart that doesn't feel at home. And not because there's anything wrong with your heart, but a heart will not know the home, the full abiding of more than just the body, but the abiding of the Buddha's awakening. We are not um, alone in needing refuge. All beings 
are seeking refuge. And we can see it very clearly externally, the need for refuge. And internally, when you look into your own heart and mind, you will see, uh, tell me if you see something different, that the human heart-mind, and heart here isn't just emotional heart, heart is the whole sensitive humanness, our capacity to be impacted, to feel the sheer force of contact with what arises internally and externally, that, that sensitivity to want to be able to give that refuge, to come home, to know peace. And if we look into our experience, what I have seen and practitioners see is that when we don't know what I'm going to provisionally call real refuge, a refuge that is uh, reliable, then our heart will be invariably seeking for something to bond to. It's a natural kind of homing device, in a sense. In a sense. We'll either be seeking when we don't know, provisionally, real refuge. The heart is seeking to bond, to glue, to find, to bond with someone, something, a thought, a feeling, a meditation experience, that kind of homing instinct to find that place that I can call home. So we offer this chant because it, uh, for a number of reasons, the first part of it is this homage to the triple gem. It's a classic uh, offering to lineage. It's an offering, making offerings to the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And in the monasteries where I've practiced, this part would be much longer than the piece we've printed on the um, sheet. There would be really uh, care taken and time taken with that gesture of offering, with the offering of incense, of candles, of the bowing, etc in a way to remind the human being, oh yeah, I have to put my heart somewhere. My heart will bond to something. Where can I let it land that might lead onward? That might actually, that I have some faith or I have a lot of faith or at least the people doing it somehow inspire me or at least they inspire me enough that I want to put my heart in that direction because it's going to go some direction. So those pieces would be uh, taken care of very much, these uh, offerings to the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And then this chant goes into a very classical frame of teaching of the Buddha. It's a very, very classical frame, which I'll say very briefly and we will unpack more through the instructions and talks this frame is uh, briefly, if I give the, the overview, is referring to what are known as the five skandhas, sometimes translated as five aggregates. And this is one way that the Buddha broke up our experience, kind of said, okay, we can look at it this way. In any moment, any moment, this is not an abstract frame, in any moment you will see that there is form, form, and form is any form, any form that has come together, including your body, including the form of the retreat and form of the tree, the form of something that has come together to make a form. That's one of the skandhas. Feeling, you'll see that word comes up three times in this chant. Feeling here is Vedana, it is not uh, referring to emotion. Emotion would be a concoction of all of these things. Vedana, I'll go into a little bit later. Form, feeling, perception. I'm not going to 
explain all of them right now. So translation for the next one here is mental formations. Uh, we'll say more. And the last one, sense consciousness. When I first heard this teaching of the five, five aggregates, um, it did not excite me. It did not draw my heart. It did not make me think, oh goody, the five aggregates, that's my pathway to the divinity my heart seeks. No, it's a, it's a very, it, it, it doesn't appear, for some of you it may be, oh goody, you know, you might have one of those kind of orientations, it wasn't like that for me. In the chant then, you see that the, the, the teaching goes through with each of these aggregates, so it might sound like, oh, this is a bit dry, isn't it? This is a little bit, like, where's the juice in this? Stay tuned. <laughs> if you're one of those people who's hoping to switch channel now, it's like... Um, stay tuned. So with each of those five aggregates, we go through what is called the three characteristics. We have the five aggregates and the three characteristics. And you'll see that that's gone through the list. We go through each of the five aggregates and refer each of the three characteristics to each of the aggregates. Okay. Have you still got your body? <laughs> have you got your breath or is it like, ooh? Okay. It's a training. And the reason that I'm we're offering it is because this formulation, this breaking down of our experience, this way of looking at our experience with these three characteristic lenses, which we'll go into, of impermanence, of not-self, and of dukkha, this unsatisfactory quality, something that can't really finally give us home. This training even just on an intellectual level, like maybe you'd kind of know the lists and you can go through it. This is a really skillful list to know. I, having trained in tr chanting that daily for a few years, this was the most robust framework that I could call upon in my most difficult crises of my life. This framework got under and touched and held and gave refuge to the mind that was desperate. So that's one end of the possibility of refuge. There were many frameworks to turn to, but somehow this one really cut through right down the middle and was somewhere when the heart didn't know where to turn to for faith, could lay herself there. And even more than that, or not even more than that, that's, that's, that was enough. <laughs> but more than that, I will say, or other levels, that this framework can, you know, so in that difficult time when my mind was going a little bit, you can get it from the gesture. Um, I could put my heart and mind and body th into those tracks because I chanted it. It was available. It just went, Oof, okay, here, here I can rest the mind. And going through it conceptually, yes. It was like guide rails, guide rails for the mind. More than that, this framework is one that classically when trained and used in our practice, it allows us to not only find the refuge of just finding a shelter in the storm in that moment, it allows the whole understanding of unbinding, coming out of that grip, the grip that's not just the terrible grip, it might be a kind of ordinary kind of grip, right? It might be a kind of even lovely grip. I remember my mum, my mum, she's, uh, she's not alive anymore, but soon after my dad died, she was at my flat and it was a kind of a time of, you know, a lot of change for her, obviously. And she was looking at one of my books and she read something about, you know, kind of uh, a pattern. Some, maybe it was a psychology book or a Dharma book, I can't remember. And she looked at it and she read something that caught her eye. And it was something about uh, having to please people. It's like, 
and she came back in the living room and she goes, Kath, I think I've been trying to please people all my life. She goes, I'm not going to do that anymore. And she was 85 or something. And she had this sort of resolute, like, enough of that. And it's not that she started to become, you know, uh, somebody else. She still had a sweet heart on a good day. She still had a sweet heart. But it was that bind, you know, where, where we get into a, even, a, even something that people like us for, but somehow it, we don't feel free and it's like, oh, I'm always the one who's, right? Even those kind of binds. Right to the binds of we're here on retreat and oh, what kind of binds have you seen? There's the bind I like to tell from a man who was on this June retreat many years ago who left, um, which happens sometimes, and he came back the next year and he said, sorry about that, last year. Uh, he said, something you said really wound me up. Uh, and so I got in my car and he said, and the next moment of mindfulness I had, I was halfway down the A38 to Plymouth. And he goes, and he said, and I realized there was no freedom in that. That knee jerk, you know, the bind is like, whoa, she's whatever I had done wrong. Uh, in uh, his mind, you know, and I, of course, will say things that don't sit right all the time. But it kind of bounced. He pinged off. His pot got boiling. Remember the images this morning? His pot started boiling. Hands in the pocket, keys, oh, I don't have to do this, in the car, poof, gone. And he came back the next year really sweet and said, yeah, I can see. I thought that was freedom to do what I wanted, but it wasn't that kind of bind, right to the bind of, um, on my first retreat, it was in Gaia House when it was in another village, in a village called Denbury over there, little house, and I was the bell ringer, morning wake up bell ringer, and um, I was, I'd never been anywhere like that, I was, I f felt a bit like a fish out of water, in, so if any of you do well <laughs> you're not alone um, and so I didn't really know about these bell ringing things and it was all silent so I was very nervous and um, I rang the bell super quietly in the morning so I didn't <laughs> disturb anyone I was like it's obviously quiet all these sensitive looking people I better not ring it too loud so whatever was my pattern there and then Somewhere in that day, a note appeared on the board with my name on it, and immediately there was a kind of, <coughs> you know, this old, old pattern of, oh my God, I'm in trouble. Um, do any of you have that? Uh, so I looked at the note, and it, it, it actually, here's how I saw it first. You didn't ring the bell loud enough. Do it better next time. Didn't say that at all. It said, oh, could you please ring the bell louder tomorrow morning? I didn't wake up this morning. But I didn't see that. I saw, I've done it wrong. I've done it wrong. And then the mind picks that up, starts binding. It's an old program. It's an old program. Many of us will know that program. It feels like it's me in the middle of that, done it wrong. And then I'm there two hours later, waiting, willing it to be the next morning so I can get it right. Didn't know it was dukkha. Didn't see how I got in the bind. Knew it felt terrible. Wondered how I could redeem myself, right? So there's a whole setup there. There's a whole sense of self that's come into bind, has been brought into being, right? Pfft. Wrong. I'm the wrong one. When that's so hard to handle, it's so hard to bear. It felt so real, if any of you know. Even if intellectually somebody would have said to me, you didn't do anything wrong, it's only a bell. Wouldn't have made any difference. The bind was there. And then what can happen, there's a counter bind. Can't bear that bind, so I bind. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it right now. From here on in, I'm gonna get it right. right. Another kind of bind, further and further moving away. Yes, from home.
concocting, building senses of self, senses of other, senses of my world. They were very familiar until we start to develop mindfulness, investigation, applying the teachings, landing enough in the body to start looking at my experience in these ways that come through in this chant from this classical teaching. So they are the binds, they are some of the binds. And when we start to see it's a bind and not who I am, this is radical, really radical. And this chant is part of the training frameworks to be able to work with that kind of, as one of my teachers says, that kind of sticky, complicated mess called myself. Right? This is one of the way, this is a powerful and robust way of working with that bind. So, last thing before we look at the chants together. Um, the premise from the Buddha is that this bind happens because we don't see clearly. We don't know clearly. And this is translated in English as ignorance. It's kind of nicer in Pali, so let's use the Pali. Avidya, not seeing. And what don't we see? And he said, we are treating as permanent that which is not permanent. Right? Just think of an example. A mind state today. Let's say you woke up in a mood, funny mood is the immediate reflection, oh, this is impermanent. No, it's usually, oh, damn, uh, I'm feeling grumpy, I'm going to be grumpy the rest of the day. Maybe we don't even see that, we're just grumpy, and then we look out and see everyone at Gaia House and they all look really alien, um, and we really know we're in the wrong place. And we haven't seen that actually there's a mind state that's grumpy, and we're treating it as if it's myself, as if it's permanent, as if it's who I am. So we're treating, I'm kind of mixing the three um, characteristics there, treating as permanent that which is not permanent. And when we look into our experience, we see that there isn't one thing there that will be the place to rest and put our feet up and say, done, arrived, finished. It's impermanent. He says the ignorance is treating that which is, uh, sorry, treating as satisfactory that which is not satisfactory. Cannot be satisfactory because it's changing. It can't satisfy that hunger in the heart. Even the best mind state, the best meditation experience, the best lasagna, it will not do it in a way where the heart goes, oh yes, done, done. Done is what had to be done. And the ignorance is treating as mine, as me and as myself, that which is not mine, is not me, and is not myself. Right? These aggregates belong to the nature of things. And we return ourselves to the nature of things and we feel a lot better. The bind loosens. So let's look um, at the chant a little bit. If you have it there, hopefully, anybody need a copy that hasn't got one? Uh, there's a couple more here. Will you think my needs one?
So right from the refuge, when things are really tough, but also practicing the refuge, or when things aren't really tough, when they're actually going really well. It's like, Thanks, yeah. So practicing the refuge when things are really tough, but practicing the refuge and this training when things are not really tough. Um, for two reasons. One is because if then it is really tough, <laughs> it's available to us, right? And also, things don't have to be really tough. Sometimes the sense of dukkha is really subtle. It's just a sense of not quite at home here not quite there's more there's more i'm called to know and this framework too can go right into the subtle depths of our meditation and unbind the subtlest dukkha dukkha is the unsatisfactoriness so the only other thing to point out is as you'll see you'll get to know it there's the salutation to the triple gem and then it talks about dukkha a little bit and I point your eyes to, on the front page, first page, right-hand column, uh, near the bottom, it says three things about dukkha, which really sum it up. Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, is association with the disliked, having to be in contact with what is not pleasing and agreeable to us. Anybody, you know, tick when you know this predicament. Uh, second one is separation from the liked is dukkha. Tick if, if, put your hand up if you don't know that experience, right? And the third one, not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. Oh, <laughs> yes, you, me, and seven billion. Some look like they keep attaining their wishes, but, <laughs> right? But actually that real, that real heart's desire for peace, for freedom. Okay, so let's chant together uh, or engage with it in whatever way is meaningful to you. No, and I, uh, I did this as a practice for a few years every day, right? And like any practice, through the times of loving it, through the times of not loving it, through the times of feeling it, through the times of not feeling it, through the times of this is my thing, through the times of this is not my thing. It's like practice, it's like that's how practice works. We'll go through different phases with any practice that we're diligent with, actually. And in fact, it's not so much about, you know, obviously we need some resonance with it to engage it, but it's, in the end, it's, um, well, I could say an investment worth making, to put it in crude terms. Okay. And now let us chant the salutation to the triple gem and a passage to arouse urgency. The Buddha, absolutely pure, with ocean-like compassion, possessing the clear sight of wisdom, destroyer of worldly self-corruption, devotedly indeed that Buddha I revere, the teaching of the sage like a lamp, illuminating the path and its fruit the deathless, that which is beyond the conditioned world. Devotedly indeed, that Dhamma I revere, the Sangha, the most fertile ground for cultivation. Those who have realized peace, awakened after the accomplished one, noble and wise, all longing abandoned, Devotedly indeed, that Sangha I revere. 
the salutation should be made to that which is worthy by the power of such good actions may all obstacles disappear one who knows things as they are has come into this world and he is an arhant a perfectly awakened being purifying the way leading out of delusion calming and directing to perfect peace and leading to enlightenment this way he has made known having heard the teaching we know this birth is dukkha aging is dukkha and death is dukkha sorrow lamentation pain grief and despair are dukkha association with the disliked is dukkha separation from the liked is dukkha not attaining one's wishes is dukkha in brief the five focuses of identity are dukkha these are as follows attachment to form attachment to feeling attachment to perception attachment to mental formations attachment to sense consciousness for the complete understanding of this the blessed one in his lifetime frequently instructed his disciples in just this way in addition he further instructed form is impermanent feeling is impermanent perception is impermanent karma formations are impermanent sense consciousness is impermanent form is not self feeling is not self perception is not self mental formations are not self sense consciousness is not self all conditions are transient there is no self in the created or the uncreated all of us are bound by birth aging and death by sorrow lamentation pain grief and despair bound by dukkha and obstructed by dukkha let us all aspire to complete freedom from suffering So just uh, sense your body, sense any effects from chanting, from the framework, uh, whatever they are, um, whether you like it or dislike it, whether you resonate or don't, whether it switches your heart on or seems to switch it off. Notice the quality of the heart-mind, the quality of the citta. Notice your breath. Notice if you can what you see about the perception of yourself right now. I want to look and open the inquiry into one of these five skandhas, these five aggregates. And it's the one called feeling in English. And if you see in the chant, it's Vedana in Pali. And I want to give you the scenario and why studying this in our direct experience studying doesn't mean we just understand the conceptual framework we we need that but studying it means going right in here 
moment to moment to see how binding and unbinding happens. This is a really, really radical framework from the Buddha. Here's the scenario. Always and in every moment, there is contact with a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, or in the Dharma, the Buddhist tradition, the mind is also a sense door, right? So the five senses that we're used to in the West, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or the mind, thought, image, etc. In every moment, this sense contact is happening Even in the very, very subtle realms of meditation, there's contact arising until some you know, particular experience of the cessation of perception and feeling, which is a particular kind of um, uh, non-experience that can be known. Always there is contact. When my teacher used to say this, in every moment, what you get is sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and the mind. And I used to think, really? Is that it? I used to wish he would say, no, 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 there's all these other things. This is not presenting that this is the only thing about life. It's saying, if you can look here, you will get some of the keys and the secrets about unbinding suffering. So every moment there is a contact with one of the senses. And when we are stirred up, our pot, as the images we've been using, when the pot is stirred up and we are not settled, it can feel like, and maybe you know this sometimes, like when we try and sit, it's like there's a thousand contacts coming, assailing me. There's all these sounds and people coming in and somebody's coughing and there's all these thoughts and images and, um, you know, multiple thousands of contacts it can feel like when the mind is settled is not settled and we're spinning not only that but each of these contacts will be experienced by you and this is the vedana part as either pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant nor unpleasant right so we're paring it down even more now and when my teacher used to say that Every moment, pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And I used to think, oh dear, is that it? No, that's not a description of the totality of the mystery, but it is a secret and a key that if we can study this really closely, we can know the keys for unbinding dukkha. Without training on this arising of contact, on this arising of its pleasantness, its unpleasantness, or neither, which it will be, in the deepest, loveliest meditative states, and there's a lot of pleasantness, it's pleasant, it's not permanent, it's not self. It cannot give us the final home. And this was one of the Buddha's realizations of the depth of his meditative attainment that he opened to, really deep. And he came out from those meditations and something in his heart still wasn't finished. However good it gets, something in the heart was still pointing and seeking for home. There's a teaching of the Buddha, and I'm going to paraphrase, but the gist of it is, he said, for the ordinary untrained mind, um, for the ordinary untrained mind, when an unpleasant contact arises, this will be grasped to, and the underlying tendency towards aversion will start to build. Right? Can you see that? You have a pain in your knee, and we don't see that it's unpleasant. We're reacting to it being unpleasant. Oh, I don't like it. And all this aversion starts to come up. 
And we might have had a pain in our knee, but suddenly we're aversive to not only my knee, but to Gaia House, to meditation. Suddenly we're building a fantasy of, um, you know, get me out of here, like the man with the car. Right? All the underlying tendency to aversion fills and clouds the mind. And then he said, with the ordinary untrained mind, when contact is pleasant, there is grasping. And the underlying tendency towards desire, towards craving, will arise. And there we, <sighs> how do I get more of that? And then what I find one of the most amazing Dharma doorways, the third one, he said, when neither pleasant or unpleasant contact, when the contact is neutral, this I want to write, a, have a whole retreat next year called In Praise of the Neutral, but I'm not sure anyone would come. <laughs> um, would you have signed up, you know? doesn't really doesn't sound glamorous does it really doesn't sound how am i gonna when the contact is neither pleasant nor unpleasant for the ordinary untrained mind the underlying tendency towards delusion arises the delusion the not landing the confusion the not settling the misunderstanding the misseeing the ignorance of taking that which is impermanent to be permanent, that which is not self to be mine, that which is unsatisfactory to be something that's really going to really feed me. In praise of the neutral, for the rest of the retreat, please, dear fellow, fellow brothers and sisters and siblings in birth, aging, sickness and death, please notice when contact is neither pleasant nor unpleasant that is a dharma doorway for you if you can learn to linger there it does not stay the same the untrained mind will come away from it get bored lose resonance when something doesn't excite me when something isn't a threat to me kind of our evolutionary training is probably it's not actually that important it's not that important for understanding and binding. It's really important, really, really a doorway with uh, some of you probably know, but um, treasures that we could never have imagined. Not treasures only of experience, but um, <laughs> I'm going to want to leave it in suspense, dot, dot, dot treasures we have to we have to hang out linger learn to linger wisely with wise attention with what is neither pleasant nor unpleasant why is this so important <coughs> At times, our mind might feel like such a, our mind, our heart mind might feel like such a um, mess. There may be so much suffering in the heart, so much pain or sorrow, or which doesn't make it a mess, but we may not be able to get a handle on it, right? that our practice is really to put our hand right on our heart, right on our belly, and say, this is Dukkha. This is Dukkha. That which sees the Dukkha, recognizes Dukkha, that discernment that we spoke about this morning, that knowing, that which knows Dukkha, already has their feet planted deeply in timeless refuge.
And we can learn to lean into that more. That knowing, that discerning gets brighter. Dukkha can be seen and what can feel like a tangle. Initially, I have no handle on it. In those moments, I have found myself touching the earth, pr prostrating my body on the earth. I can't do it anymore. Good, we can't do it anymore. Not in the way we thought. Joining ourselves up in whatever ways are meaningful to you, to lineage if that, if that idea works for you. Doesn't have to be the literal lineage, not at all. It can be what it might be, but it can be what your body and your heart's imagination say, yes, here I can line up. To practice offering, this gesture of offering, affirming our connection, affirming our uh, place, actually, in what is more than us. This allows us to get some traction. Bringing our heart-mind to rest, coming into the hall, engaging in ways that let you remember what is more than you, what lines you are part of, including this line, if this is one that is a lineage that is resonant for you, that makes enough sense to you, then engage its practices because they will serve. They will serve you and they will serve what is more than you. And other times it doesn't feel so difficult. And we can, we're quiet maybe. And there's not much happening, it seems. So it seems. And the knee-jerk reaction of the mind is, oh, not much happening. Okay, let's wonder what's for lunch, you know. It might be neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Mind is pretty quiet. Nothing's bothering me. Nothing's really amazing. Can I learn to rest with the contact? Ah, this is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Can I stay? Can I stay? Can I breathe? Can I get interested? Can I turn up the curiosity? Even if the reaction is, oh, nothing there for me. I remember that first retreat after I settled out of my I've done it wrong program. I remember the teacher invited us to go outside and just stand uh, with a tree, or I can't remember what it was. I, it definitely was a tree, I can't remember what the teacher said. And I was standing with a tree at the old guy house, standing there, and I was steady by that point, steady and standing upright, and there was a tree. It felt okay, good and peaceful, nothing bothering me. And then I saw this thought arise in my mind. Right, okay, great, what's next? And then I listened a little longer. Well, there's nothing, nothing here for me. Nothing was feeding me in any obvious way. Nothing was affirming me or denying me. And then that searching mind, that mind that's on the lookout to bond for s with something, goes off on its track again. Right, what can I... What can I bond with now instead? Tree was nice for a couple of minutes. It's a little bit like the night sky. You know, I, I would be on retreat very often. Yeah, the night sky is supposed to be amazing, isn't it? When you see the stars, great, I'm really quiet. Okay, it's the night sky. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I can feel it. Uh, right, what's next? Right, what's in it for me? That kind of, that hungry, what's in it for me here? You know, that's our, well, tell me if it isn't your standard thing, but it's, the standard thing for that heart that's seeking home. What's in it for me? Where am I gonna where am I gonna find rest? Can we learn to linger? And maybe that's not the case. Some of you maybe can really open to the tree, the night sky, and really linger beyond that point where, yeah, it feels good, but right, 
off I go now. Beyond that point, can I learn to linger? Can I rest with the Vedana train right there? Oh, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Can I stay? Can I learn to tolerate, actually, a bigger range, a wider bandwidth? Because therein lies the doorway. When it's really pleasant and it's really lovely and it's maybe it's my first sip of tea in the morning, which somehow tastes better than all the other cups of tea for the rest of the day. It's that, mmm, pleasant, beautiful. Can I train in knowing the Vedana pleasant? Ah, discerning. Oh, this is pleasant. My conditioned mind goes, yes, so so what? Can I stay at pleasant? Ah, it's pleasant. It's pleasant. It's pleasant. Can I let the pleasure work on me? It's pleasant. Can I open to the pleasure? Because I have found for myself and others that opening to pleasure can be equally as challenging to really open, not grasping after it. The untrained mind will grasp to the pleasure. The trained mind will open to that and let it work on us. And when the contact is unpleasant, my heart aches, or there's a contraction here, or my shoulder's sore, can I come and recognize, oh, this is unpleasant? Not because it's the only word on the street about what's happening, no, but because it's a training. It's a training. Normally the ache in my heart will have its story that goes with it and that's fine and appropriate and there's a place for that. And there's a training that's radical also that will serve us when we're quiet and it will serve us also when we're in a sticky mess. Even then when there's a proliferation, I've tangled in a tangle and I can come, ah, this is unpleasant. I have no idea how this is going to untangle, but this is unpleasant, unpleasant. (gasps) Breathing, resonating, sensing the unpleasantness, the disagreeableness, widening around that, softening around that. I can start then to discern more and more. What do I discern? I can start to know what's happening with my way of attending to the unpleasantness. Is my attention shrinking around it, pushing it away? Can I open my attention? Can I widen? Can I soften? I start to have more uh, skill in what two days before might have seemed like a, a mess that would never end. So not underestimating this very unglamorous skanda called Vedana to train the attention at contact, both when it's easy to do that, like there isn't lots going on, and also when there's lots going on, coming to contact in the middle of an emotional storm, Right, can I sense the body? Can I sense the contraction? Ah, this is unpleasant actually. Yeah, 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 but what about that? And they shouldn't have done that. And why did he say that? Okay, thank you. But what's actually the contact? Can I train here? Well, that's unpleasant, isn't it? Of course it is. Can I stay there? Wow, wow. Okay, wow, look, my attention has just gone right around it. Okay, can I widen that? Can I soften? we could have a whole week's retreat just attending to Vedana and it would serve you well. We could have a whole day where it was the only instruction and every moment one of us at the front would say, okay, and what is the Vedana right now? We could do it for a whole hour. You could decide to do it for a whole morning. 
training this lens does not mean that you will always be paring your experience down to pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. But the fact that you can see through that lens will mean a radical tool in your toolbox when times are good and when times are hard. If we can learn to linger at the door with pleasant or unpleasant or neither, with our curiosity, with our humility of not assuming we know everything, and with our divine hunger to know more. then the Dharma doors can open wider for us with what may initially appear like something so ordinary, so unremarkable, so basic, so easily overlooked, yet so radical. And when I reflect on that now, I can start to feel my devotion to the Buddha. And that comes back right round to that circle of lineage and offering. It's not that I feel like I'm a passionately religious Buddhist. I don't even particularly call myself Buddhist. But I feel incredible gratitude for that brilliance that is still shining 2,000, almost 600 years later. That's quite an illumination. And I genuinely sense it right now. I don't always feel it, but right now I do. Devotedly indeed, that Buddha I really and how I conceive of that word Buddha. You don't know how I conceive of that word Buddha. And I don't know how you conceive of that word Buddha. And I leave that between you and the great mystery, how you conceive of that word Buddha. Let's sit together for a minute.
So let's have some time for walking practice and if the bell ringer could ring at. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.